0: Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I don't know why, but I am in a very good mood this morning. Hondo comes into work. I'm sitting at my little cube, and normally I'm, I'm doing all this research and stuff, and comes in, and I was, I was watching, like, YouTube music videos of one of my favorite performers, Robert O'Keefe, have the music turned up, and Hondo says, looking for bumper music? I said, no, no, I'm just in a good mood. I'm just listening to tunes and stuff. And so that is it, 29 degrees outside. I know we haven't seen the sunshine for a while, but... I don't know. I'm still saying this is okay. I will take this. Moderate weather, a little bit of snow I can handle, not a lot. Uh, Sidewalks are a little bit slippery in certain parts of the area, so be careful with that. You know, I was going to lead off today's program by by going on a rant about the the Big East and something that happened to Marquette the other day. But but now that I know the whole story, I I will hold back. Of course, two nights ago, Marquette beats number one-ranked Villanova. Great game, 74-72. Um, signature win for the program. And after they win, the game was at the uh, BMO Harris Bradley Center, uh, the, the the student section just empties out and they storm the floor. I kind of felt bad for some of the security folks at the Bradley Center because it was like that scene at the end of Animal House where you've got the Kevin Bacon ROTC character going, all is calm, stay calm, and people rush past him. They, they storm the court. The players were never any danger. It was a good, healthy celebration. The Big East fines Marquette $5,000 for not having adequate security to prevent the, the court storming. Now, I understand that you don't want people running onto the, the court at sporting events because it poses dangers and things like that. But at the same time, this was kind of this spontaneous thing. And I'm thinking, really? You're going to find him $5,000? I mean, this isn't like you had you know some crazy guy that wanted to cause harm or something that got loose. This was just this kind of spontaneous eruption at the end of the game. But anyhow, the, the Big East... Fines them five thousand dollars. So I was going to carry on about that till I realized that the five thousand dollars fine, it, what happens is it's actually a, a donation. What What Marquette is allowed to do is to designate a charity of the school's choice to take that $5,000. So it not, it's not like it just goes to the league or something. Um, and in the case of Marquette, they have um, one of the, the charities they work with is Camp Hometown Heroes, which is this Grafton-based summer camp that benefits children and siblings of fallen military members, um, regardless of whether they were killed in action or died in any other manner. So Marquette takes the five grand; they, they ship it up to this Camp Hometown Heroes, and that means that five kids can go to summer camp. So, all right, $5,000, a fine to send five kids... Under these circumstances, the summer camp, well worth it. No problem at all. I hope they continue to win. I hope the fans continue to storm the courts, and nobody gets hurt, and more money goes to this camp hometown heroes. All pretty good. We start out this program like we start out every program with three big things, things I think you need to know so you can talk about during the day at the water cooler or the coffee closet or at lunch. Number one, sanctuary cities. Donald Trump declares war on certain cities that believe they should not have to cooperate with the federal government let me back into this story um, we have every state in the union has a 21 year old drinking age but there's not a national 21 year old drinking age drinking age is controlled by individual states Now, i think you can make sense you can argue that it makes sense to have a uniform drinking age um, where i went to college I, I, there were it was within there was like within thirty minutes there were three different states and one had an eighteen year old drinking age and one had a nineteen year old drinking age and one had a twenty one year old drinking age and so all that meant is the people that lived in the state that was twenty one would get into cars on weekends or week, evenings <laughs> and drive you know to the place where it was eighteen and then drive back. You know after they had been drinking so I mean I think you can make an argument that a uniform drinking age makes makes sense whether it's 21 or 19 or 18 or whatever but but there's not a federal law for that so why do all the states have 21 year old drinking ages well the answer is because the federal government says if you do not have a 21 year old drinking age Wisconsin you can make the drinking age whatever you want but if it's not 21 we are not giving you any federal highway funds, so you will lose out on tens of millions or maybe more of dollars of federal money unless you have a 21-year-old drinking age. So, I mean, nobody wants to miss out on you know tens of millions of dollars, so essentially— It's a form of economic extortion, and I don't say that in a bad way. It's just that's what the federal government says. Okay, we we want you to have this drinking age. You can do whatever you want, but if you don't do it our way, you are not getting our money. Kind of like... I don't know if you go to borrow money from your parents or something and you say, hey, I want this kind of this amount of money. And mom and dad say, OK, well, we're going to give you the money, but this is how you have to spend it. You know, we we don't want you spending it on a trip to Mexico. We want you spending it to you know fix the roof of your house. All right. You don't have to take the money. But if you do, this is how we want you to spend it. So that's the bottom line. Well, this this whole idea of sanctuary cities, federal law governs you know, of course, immigration type of issues. And there are a number of cities in this country that have declared themselves sanctuary cities. San Francisco is one, Boston is one. The the definition of what a sanctuary city kind of varies. But as a general rule, these are cities that say, we will not cooperate with federal immigration officials. If we catch somebody, we arrest somebody, we get information telling us that somebody is in this country illegally as a general rule we are not going to notify immigration we are not going to cooperate with immigration we are essentially saying all right doesn't matter what your immigration status is you can you can stay here now if federal officials find out about it well that's fine but we are not going to cooperate with federal officials with regarding with regard to helping Federal officials enforce federal immigration law. Like I say, the the term sanctuary city is kind of ambiguous. The the degree of how little they will help sort of varies from place to place. But that's the the general notion. Don't worry about the feds if you live in this particular community. But Donald Trump says enough of that. You know, enough of that. And by executive order, what he is in the process of doing is saying if you are not going to cooperate with federal immigration officials, you want to be a sanctuary city, fine. But we're not going to give you federal money. So, yeah, okay, Boston or San Francisco, you, you decide, you know, you don't want to cooperate with us, um, okay. But, but then don't expect money. And in the case of some of these big cities, you you are, again, you're talking tens of millions of dollars, if not more. Now, um, Reince Priebus, White House Chief of Staff, I mean, he he does an interview yesterday on Fox News, and he says, yeah, exactly, this is what we mean. Should places in this country that ignore laws of this country when it comes to immigration receive federal money? And to me, the answer is, is no. If you defy the laws of this country, you shouldn't receive federal tax dollars. Um, In some cases, you've got folks who've committed crimes. Every other jurisdiction, they say, okay, you've got to leave the country. That's normal. But these cities say no. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Headline in USA Today today, big U.S. city mayors vow to defy Trump on Sanctuary City. Several big city mayors across the U.S. vowed on Wednesday to defy President Trump's executive order that threatens to cut off federal funding to cities that offer protections to undocumented immigrants in their communities. All right, 414 799 1620 800 877 1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage toll free talk line. Is Trump's position unreasonable? If you are not going to cooperate with federal law enforcement, you're not going to get federal money. 414 799 1620 is the number we discuss. It's 843 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 847 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Kimberly on the north side. Kimberly, good morning.
1: Good morning. I love your show and I love your new time.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. Okay, what do you yes. think? Sanctuary cities?
1: Yes, so I think this is one of the main reasons that Trump got elected. I think this is a really hot button issue and I think it was what made people turn out mm-hmm. in, in a lot of cases. So I think if they're going to look, threaten to pull the money, they better pull it it's like you don't pick a battle with your kids and then back down <laughs> right. so they better do it and then secondly i was telling um, the screener mm-hmm. that when i was in college way back twenty something years ago our school was on quarters and the federal financial aid department said if you don't switch to semesters we're right. pulling the money So they use this tactic all the time so it's not a here on fire issue well right you know i mean one the of the reasons
0: yeah i mean one I, I was using the drinking age example um... in wisconsin now Seatbelt enforcement is what they call a primary enforcement thing, where you can now be uh-huh. pulled over for not wearing your seatbelt. Um, that that's that's tied into the federal rules as well. Let, let me ask you this, Kimberly: As a matter of policy, I mean, do you think it is unreasonable to say to a city like San Francisco, "Hey, if if you're not going to, we want you, we expect you to cooperate with federal law enforcement officials, and if you decide not to do it, <laughs> okay, just just be prepared. There are consequences for that."
1: I think the policy should be that we're a nation of laws, and if you choose not to follow them, then you suffer the consequences. But I think they better be tough on it, and they better follow through with it.
0: Um, right. Oh, thanks. For, oh, absolutely. I mean, you absolutely – I mean, that's your, your your example of what you tell your kids, right? If you say, all right, I expect you to eat your green vegetables, and if you don't, you're going to go to bed without dessert, and then you kid doesn't eat the green vegetables and you give them dessert. But I, I don't – I don't, think that that's, <laughs> I don't think that that's Donald Trump's philosophy here. I, I have a feeling that he's willing to back this up. Now, I understand that there might be some litigation in connection with that. That's the thing, like the mayor of San Francisco and the out-of-control mayor of Chicago, he's saying, well, no, we're going to continue to maintain a, a sanctuary city. Okay, that, that, that's great until those federal dollars shut off. Let's talk to Roger in McGuanagoe. Roger, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ.
2: Uh, well, I totally agree with uh cutting off the funds, uh, but I think we should be consistent so if we're going to say you're not following federal laws and enforcement, then the whole issue of uh marijuana i mean that's against federal law uh, mm-hmm. the states have decided to change it and turn their nose at the at the federal law so I think we should be very consistent if we're going to do
0: this. Yeah, that's an interesting question because you're exactly right. You know, federal law still makes marijuana a schedule um, – I think it's a schedule one. I used to know that right off the top of my head. But but a, certainly a controlled substance and um, no exceptions, no, no, no exceptions for sale. And like as a general rule, U.S. attorneys aren't cracking down on that. They're kind of looking the other way. So you're saying if you're going to do it, you do it across the board. You do it for everything. Yes, definitely. Well, thanks. I mean, I guess that's – I, I – I, At some point in time, you have to pick your battles. You have to pick your battles. Um, I'm not sure the notion on, on sanctuary cities is perhaps as controversial as marijuana is. But, yeah, I mean, I guess as a general rule... I don't think cities, and this isn't a question of local control or anything, but if cities decide they want to go native, as it were, if cities decide they want to do, we're going to do our own thing and we're going to ignore federal law, fine, ignore federal law, but then don't come to the federal government with your handout expecting you know dollars. I, and I would say the same thing about municipalities in the state. Okay, if, if you want to, City of Milwaukee, if you want to decide to do certain things or implement certain policies, that that's fine. But if they run counter to, for example, state law, um, all right, just don't expect the dollars. Bill in Caroline. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Uh, you know, I don't totally disagree with taking their funds away, but if you look at it a different way, these, these government officials, the mayors, the, the police chiefs, the uh, governors of the state, they're breaking the law. Yes. If I know somebody else that's breaking the law, I can also and don't report it. I can be charged. So why don't we charge these mayors and governors and police chiefs with the crime and arrest them?
0: Well, I got thanks. I see. I have to I have to think that one through, too, because if you say if you say they're breaking the law, I mean, I don't. I don't know that in all cases that's going to be correct, that they're actually breaking the law. They're just not cooperating with, with federal law enforcement. Um, and, and there is there is a distinction. So I, I'd have to kind of actually think that through. But I have been all in favor of putting as much pressure on these local officials as you possibly can. Who is Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, to essentially raise his middle finger at, at the federal government, especially when Chicago is, I mean, such – such a debacle. Okay and say okay, we're going to we're going to make this decision that you know, we're not going to cooperate. San Francisco, I mean San Francisco has had the very high profile situations of people who are in this country illegally, who are criminals, who have not been turned over for deportation or federal action, who then get back out on the streets and they kill people. I mean, you would think that there would be an uprising among the population where people just say enough is is enough. You shouldn't be able to pick choose which laws you want to enforce in any event big story number one trump goes to war figuratively speaking with certain big city mayors over the sanctuary city issue i think this is one where again forget the spin of the mainstream media I, i think this is one where trump is with the sentiment of the general populace and while many many interestingly california i've always made this argument that if you if you had a map of the united states that was made of marbles and you shook it Most of those loose marbles would roll to California. A couple would stop off in Madison, but most would make their way to California. Um, The mayor of Fresno, California, you know, a lot of mayors in California are saying we're going to stand. The guy in Los Angeles, the guy in San Francisco, we're going to stand up to Donald Trump. Mayor in Fresno comes out and says, wait a minute. I'm not going to make Fresno a sanctuary city because I don't want to make Fresno ineligible from receiving potentially millions of dollars in infrastructure and other type of projects. My philosophy is to follow the law and avoid these national culture war questions. How refreshing a public official that says, I want to follow the law and avoid national culture war um, questions. Maybe some members of the Milwaukee County Board would do well to take that advice in hand. 854 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number two coming up. The road goes on forever and the David Clark saga never ends. Stick around. 8.56, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Spring training is just around the corner. Get ready for the baseball season with Brewers on Deck. Hear interviews with players, learn about this season's upcoming promotions, and get all the sounds of the baseball season this Sunday. Tune in to Brewers on Deck Live starting at noon right here on WTMJ. The road goes on forever, and the David Clark saga never ends. The. (laughs) <laughs> the, there's no question that Sheriff David Clark is an extremely, extremely controversial figure um, in Milwaukee. And it's become more so over the last several months, if that's possible, given the fact that he has been an outspoken proponent uh, of Donald Trump. He's been doing lots of national appearances. There's some people that think he's been AWOL from his job. And um, it's, it's very apparent that David Clark doesn't, you know, take criticism very well and he has responded in various aggressive forms, you know, to this. You know, the latest issue of course happened and we've gone through this before in an airplane a couple weeks ago, the day the Packers are playing the Cowboys, he's flying back from something in Dallas. Guy gets on the plane, walks by him, sees him in Packer gear and, and in Cowboy gear and says, "You Sheriff Clark." He says, "Yes, I am." The guy says he just rolls his eyes. I my my have having seen these situations, my guess is Something more than that happened, but that's the guy's story. I just rolled my eyes, and then Clark says, you got a problem with me? And the guy says, no, I didn't engage him, but in any event, plane gets into Milwaukee. The sheriff's deputy's waiting, and the man is questioned. I don't know if he's detained legally or whatever, but this is now – then he goes to the media. He's got a lawyer. Now, the latest step is that uh, Chris Abley, who is the – County Executive in Milwaukee County, a controversial figure in and of himself. Um, Chris Abley has now confirming that his office is referring this guy's complaint to the County Audit Services Division, which is launching an investigation into the matter. And we advise people who ask to refer their complaints to the County Ethics Board, according to Abley's spokesperson. So now you have Abley, who spent a ton of money trying to unsuccessfully defeat uh, David Clark before He's now getting into this. Um, Clark labels the probe a fake investigation driven by politics. He says, in an act of political grandstanding, the political witch hunt continues by Democrat politicians and operatives. This is nothing more than an attempt to harass and bully Sheriff Clark. This is fake news. So this is the latest step in this ongoing feud. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk line. The What I'm going to describe is the, the David Clark saga appears to be continuing with no end in sight. The road does appear to really go on forever. Whose side are you on? Is this nothing more than a political witch hunt against the sheriff? Or... I don't know. Are Chris Abley and some of the other critics of the sheriff are they on to something? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss after the news. It's 859, Jeff Wagner 620, WTMJ. 907, Jeff Wagner 620. Glad to have you with us. David Clark is the extremely popular in some circles and very, very polarizing. Sheriff of Milwaukee County. That has become even more pronounced since he's developed more of a national profile, particularly in the last several months, as a sort of surrogate for the Trump campaign. Um, but but David Clark has always been David Clark, but it's now been very aggressively out there. He has had notable feuds with certain people in the county board, and certainly with current exec- county executive Chris Abley. Um, reports are Abley, took over a quarter million dollars of his own money, legally laundered it in an effort to try to defeat David Clark in 2014 in the Democratic primary that that failed. There's no love lost between them. Now you have an escalating tension. There's this claim about what did the sheriff do on a particular airplane flight, complaints to Chris Abley. Abley's now referring it to county committees. Um, Sheriff Clark, for his point, says, I'm I'm not going to be cooperating with this. This is part of a witch hunt. In any event... The road goes on forever, and it appears the saga never ends. To borrow a phrase from a song, 414 799 Whose side are you on? Bill on the south side. Bill, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Uh,
2: good morning, Jeff. I have to side with the sheriff on this. I'll tell you why. When he was on the plane with the incident with that gentleman, right. and he called for uh, uh, officers to come check this guy out, same thing could have happened as what happened in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The guy could have got off the plane and went and got a gun if he had it in his case or something, and he could have taken care of the sheriff.
0: Bill, let me ask you a big picture. Do you think this investigation and what's going on now is really about this particular incident, or is it about, oh, this is just the latest in a series of stuff and uh, just conflicts that existed between the sheriff? and Chris Abley and other, you know, politically-minded people in the community?
2: I think the reason Chris Abley is getting involved is because he wants to stick up with this guy and it's one more feather in his hat to run against Clark again or whatever but I think it's all political
0: okay thanks to call 414-799-1620 800-877-1620 There's the, that's the acunet mortgage toll free talk line see I, I think I think Bill is on to something R- regardless of the merits of this particular situation one, one way or or the other and I've been I, I want to wait for all the facts to develop but uh, as I have said earlier I, I'm a little uncomfortable with apparently what went on, but I, I really I would like to hear the sheriff's version of, of why he made that call. But regardless, th- this is – I do not think what you're hearing now, and all the stories in the paper and all the different stuff that's going on, I don't think this is about really what happened on an airplane on a flight back from Texas. This is about this longer-term battle – where you have people that want to bring down David Clark, and David Clark, who's gotten more and more aggressive about his public positions and things. Journal Sentinel's got an editorial, time for Clark to go. Well, um, all right. Is this really a surprise? I mean, people knew who David Clark was when they reelected him two years ago, and they elected him, re-elected him before that. Mike in Greenfield. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good
2: morning, Jeff. Um, from the facts that I've heard... And you'd really have to talk to the people on the plane because they probably saw the whole incident in its entirety. I want to preface this by saying a few things. One is, if you're an elected public official, you're there to protect and serve. Right. Not be subservient. You do not, not manipulate the law for yourself. You're not above the law. Nobody is. There is a due process for everything. I will say this, that if all this is true, uh, David Clark would be a little bit arrogant. And or paranoid and wasting taxpayer dollars. When you go through the look, when you go through the uh, airport security, you go through it, and if they're as thorough as they should be, and they usually are, what incident is there? I mean, you have these uh, drug-sniffing dogs and all this stuff waiting for you to get off the plane. I think that's going a little bit overboard. Being a public official to protect and serve, mm-hmm. and hey, look, people have a choice. Next time uh, election comes up, they can decide what they want to do. But uh, I think it's, if it's if I was on a plane, then I would know the whole story.
0: Right. Do you but, think Do you think that Clark can be fairly investigated by people who essentially work for Chris Abley, Given Given the fact that you know, you know that there's that, that there's such a rift between them.
2: If there's an increasing number and record of things happening, incidents. Um, I think you can be a little bit over the top, and like I say, arrogance and paranoia. I have no idea, but from what I know, um, what just everybody listening to this program should just figure out: what if it happened to you? What would
0: right. you do? Well, and again, and th- thanks for calling, Mike. Again, and I'm see. I just think that this this particular incident is just the kind of the stepping point. Any investigation, it's not about this incident. It's not. It's about the fact that Chris Abley has hated David Clark for years, and the the feeling is, is probably mutual. And I do... I, while I have reservations, again, my my concern has always been, you know, when you have a public official, particularly somebody who is in law enforcement, who uses the powers of law enforcement to detain, if that's what happened, to detain people or whatever, and, and then that leads to lawsuits that, for example, those of us who live in Milwaukee County, like I do, might end up on the hook for. It. Well, well, that's, that's an issue, and, and that's where it becomes a concern. At the same time, I, I understand that – I understand Clark's position where he says, okay, we're we're not going to cooperate with this um, because, you know, it's – you know, we're not going to talk to people from the county executive's office because here you have somebody like Chris Abley who clearly has been doing everything he can to try to destroy David Clark um, – I don't know. But you're right. You know, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to the voters. That's why, you know, one of these state representatives or handful of them sent a letter to Governor Walker saying you should remove David Clark. Well, OK, the statute allows you to remove David Clark for cause. But normally that's 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 criminal activity or potential criminal activity to me if people think that david clark is that out of control well he's up for re-election if he runs for re-election two years from now or lord knows especially when it comes to the left around here they know how to do recalls if you think that he's just that out of control well all right that's that you, you've, you've got that ability there but uh this saga does not appear to be ending. And I understand that like the newspaper is latched onto this like a dog with a bone because, okay, it, it gives you something to talk about on a daily basis, and David Clark's not backing down. Chris Abley won't back down. People who love David Clark won't back down. People who don't like David Clark won't back down. The road goes on forever, and the saga never ends. Coming up next, our third big thing of the morning, if we build it will it work stick around 915 jeff wagner 620 will be tmj 918 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We're less than a week into the Donald Trump administration after addressing the border wall and tougher immigration issues. What's next for the new president? Get the whole story on Wisconsin's afternoon news. 521 today. And that is big story number three in an executive order issued yesterday. Donald Trump has directed the federal government to begin the process of building the border wall. Donald Trump says, "Now the estimates on this wall, as far as cost, well, it depends on who you talk to, but we're talking billions of dollars. Um, many of the estimates say probably ten billion. Others say, well, may, maybe you can get by with six or seven billion. But that that is B as in billion. So we are talking a, a boatload of of money for this." There are various challenges that go with building a border wall. The terrain is extremely um, rough in certain areas. I mean, the, the border between Texas, between you know the United States and Mexico, is about two thousand miles long. Different climates, different vegetation, you know, different terrain. Um, there is a current border fence, generally west of El Paso, but that's where it, the, the land kind of becomes more level. Um, in many parts of the the country where there's the border, the land isn't publicly owned, it's privately owned. So you would be talking about, I don't know, eminent domain, you'd have to be talking about taking property from private citizens and figuring out how to pay for that. If you're going to have a border wall, You also, of course, have to have surveillance along the wall because people can climb over things or tunnel under these things. So, you know, you're going to have to arrange surveillance and all that type of stuff as well. So you're talking about a number of challenges. And like I say, President Trump says that, you know, Mexico will pay for this. But he hasn't explained how Mexico is going to pay for this. I think the idea is we're going to negotiate with Mexico and we're going to use money that we get from either you know, withholding payments to Mexico or different tariffs or trade deals or whatever. That's how we're going to pay for it. The president of Mexico, using language I cannot use on the radio, says we're not paying for any blanking wall. But Trump says, well, that's ultimately going to happen. Um, but at least initially – it's going to be U.S. dollars that are used to pay for it. I mean, we're going to pay for it up front and get the money back. All right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Mortar Toll, bo- Mortgage Toll-Free Talk line. Is this worth it? I mean, I understand this was a key element to the, the campaign, but it's obviously become a flashpoint, and it's become extremely controversial. <laughs> Is it worth it? There's all sorts of things that when you come to the issue of immigration, I mean, there's all sorts of controversial things, and there's all sorts of things that you need to do as far as prioritizing things. Obviously, one of the key elements is controlling illegal immigration. That's the point I've been trying to make for months and months and months. It seems to me that, first of all, you've got to choke off the flow of people into this country illegally, and then you deal with the people who've already been here you know, who've come in illegally, then you deal with them. But if you don't stop the flow of people coming into this country illegally, it doesn't make much sense to deal with the people, you know, the 11 million people who are here illegally, if there's more and more coming over every day. And that would, would have been my focus if I was elected president. But this this border wall and the claim that Mexico is going to pay for it, is is this worth the effort is it worth the expenditure of political capital? Do you believe that President Trump can really get Mexico to pay for it? And if not, is it worth 6 to $10 billion to build this border wall across the entire border? Let's start with Ben in Germantown. Ben, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ.
2: Hey, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. You know, I think we're headed in the right direction as far as, you know, trying to keep as many illegal immigrants out of the country. I just don't know that a wall is feasible from a, a building standpoint, like you were saying with the different terrain. I think that's going to make it tough. People, you know, climbing over it or, or making tunnels right. go under. Well, and I some of this is in
0: really tough. remote areas. I mean, it's it's but, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's not like you're talking population centers. You are talking some incredibly remote areas remote and areas incredibly and difficult areas. terrain. Yeah.
2: Yep, I agree. Um, you know, I, I think we, what we can do is you know. Possibly, you know, strengthen the borders, better surveillance. I think there's other things that we can do. I'm not that I'm opposed to the wall. I'm not. I just think it's going to be tough for him to actually physically do it and get Mexico to pay for it. I think that's your next biggest problem. I don't think Mexico is going to pay for it.
0: Right. right, I don't, right. I I mean, that's. Now, I mean, I, I, I Trump's argument is well, Mexico. Even if they say they, they might not write us a check for six billion dollars for the wall, but what I will do is I will alter trade policy or seize asset or do something, and I am going to I am going to make them pay for this, you know, one way or or the other. And I, I just I have I am all in favor of strengthening border security. I, I am. I just wonder whether a, a wall is. Is, is more symbolic than, than anything else. I mean, do you really need to put up a 15- or 20-foot wall in remote areas in the middle of, of nowhere where the terrain is not hospitable to it? What about the, the area, and I was reading a story in the Washington Post about the, these folks in Brownsville, Texas, who own all this property on, on the border. It's privately owned. It's not public land. So, you know, in some cases, you, you'd have this wall which would, you know, be in these people's backyard? I mean, do you really, are we going to do that? How much is that cost going to be? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Does this make sense? Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi.
2: Hi. Uh, so I believe that it makes sense. I mean, we have spent $1.5 over 50 years for the F-35. We don't even know if that's ever going to come off the ground. Mm-hmm. $10 billion for something that may or may not work while hiring 5,000 ice agents, it uh, doesn't seem like a massive expenditure to the U.S.
0: government to me. Do you think it will work? And, and, and again, I, I understand. Do you, do you think a wall along the entire border will, will, will work and is necessary? I
2: mean, physically, who knows if it's entirely possible. Will it be a mental deterrent, hopefully? Okay. Uh, if anything, it will be something to create construction jobs.
0: <laughs> Thanks for the call. Yeah. Well, I guess – see, when, when I heard the the president during the campaign talking about, like, building a wall, I actually thought he was using the term as a metaphor. Be, you know, to me, if if you were – We're going to build a a wall, not necessarily a formal brick and concrete wall across the entire border. You know, we're going to increase our electronic surveillance and we're going to have more surveillance flights and we're going to triple the number of border agents or or whatever that is. And we're going to use infrared technology and we're going to use all this stuff that this modern technology allows us to identify where people are crossing and coming into this country illegally. And we're going to spend money there. As a metaphor, I get the wall and, and there are. I mean, certain areas where, like now there's a fence, I kind of understand, okay, maybe, maybe this wall would help. But, I mean, the U.S.-Mexico border, <laughs> I just, to, to build, and this is my issue, to, to build a, a, an 18-foot wall or a 15-foot wall or a 10-foot wall or, or whatever in some of these areas that are just so very remote that people aren't crossing anyways, I, I wonder if it's worth the dough. Let's talk to John in Milwaukee. John, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Hi, John.
2: Uh, I, I know it's it's not apples apples here, but I just think it's ironic in a way that um, uh, I, I remember Reagan telling Gorbachev to, to
0: you know to tear down that wall, break, tear
2: down that wall, and and it just it just doesn't. It it, it I agree with you. I think it, it was I thought it was a metaphor too. I just thought yeah, let's secure the borders, let's 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 fix what's what's happening now, and and, right. and, 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 and go from there. But uh, it just seems to be an awfully
0: Well, I just want to say my quick question is is whether it's going to work. If if I really thought this would make the borders more secure, I I might have a different position. I'm just to me, it just seems like an awful waste of money. They estimate it's like four million dollars a mile in some of these areas of the border to build this huge to build a huge wall in some of these remote areas or to take people's property. I mean, I I just it, it strikes me as being an incredible waste of money. Doesn't, make sense. Doesn't Th- make sense. Thanks for call. I appreciate it. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. 927, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Craig and Lowell. Craig, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hey, uh, Jeff. Uh, I lived in Tucson okay. for a while, and uh, when I first went there, I was amazed at what I seen. I, I think, uh, first of all, in the hospitals, the waiting rooms in the emergency room are full. Right. Of illegals, and uh, you know, we, we're going to recover some money there. A wall alone isn't going to do everything, but if, if it's built with modern technology, has sensors, and we can get agents there to turn them back immediately, um, some of that land, like you said, the train is horrible. Right. There's trash, there's dead farm animals. Uh, there's people actually out there setting out water jugs every evening because right. they know these people are, you know, uh, struggling. Do you think um, a wall
0: is practical? Now, you know, you lived in the area, um, and and there's, I, I mean, I've been to Tucson several times, but I mean, do you think do you think it is practical all along the border to, to build to build a wall?
3: Yes. Okay. Um, and again, with modern technology, I, I, this isn't going to be just a, a brick wall. You know, they're going to put modern technology, right. cameras, sensors. Uh, you know, things that alert. Agents to get to these locations where they're crossing. Right.
0: Okay. Thanks. Well, I think see, and that's that's what the the, the the fundamental question is. I don't think any of us would disagree that we need enhanced border security. The question becomes, how is the best way to go about it? And if you become a regular listener, if you are a regular listener's program, you know, I'm always a, I'm about cost benefit analysis. I, by that I mean, if you're going to spend money, I want to spend money in the way that makes the most sense. And to me, that's the issue. If you're going to spend all this dough, and if we're going to spend, and they estimate, like I say, it's $4 million a mile for a wall. Is that the best way you can spend $4 million per mile in some areas along the border?
3: 9.36,
0: Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. I lumped this into the category of the road to you-know-where is paved with good intentions. Tostitos has announced that they have come out with this bag of chips that it's designed to fight drunk post-Super Bowl driving. Um, What what it is, it's its a okay the Tostitos bag— And I don't, Tosita says they're going to make 25,000 of these and they're not going to sell them. I do not understand how you get one of these bags, but, but let's put that aside for a second. It's designed for people who are having Super Bowl parties and they have technology on the front of the bag. There's a sensor. And what you do is you breathe onto the sensor that's on the bag. And if there's no alcohol on your breath, the bag, the the sensor turns green, and it shows like a steering wheel, and that means you're okay to drive. If there's alcohol on your breath, the sensor turns red. I'm looking at this right now, and it's got this flashing thing that has like a steering wheel. Don't drink and drive. Now, it's not a breathalyzer. So, I mean, it's not going to tell you what your blood alcohol level is or anything. It's just, okay, it it gets this red thing. And then there's apparently... They've cut a deal with Uber that um you can download the Uber app and then if you type in the last five digits of the bag of chips UPC barcode, um you, you get a discount with Uber. So I mean it it's it's tied in and it's a promotional thing. Now I, I don't want people to misunderstand me. I am all in favor of trying to convince people to avoid driving drunk. And of course, the Super Bowl, that's one of the things. These people, you know, go to these You know, go to Super Bowl parties, just like on New Year's Eve, folks get liquored up and they they make really bad decisions. So I am all in favor of people being mindful of how much alcohol they consume and not drinking and driving. But just as a practical matter here, now, Hondo, who's producing the show, do you really think that there's anybody who's going to use this, this bag as an indicator of, gee, have I had too much to drink or not? Right. Well, here's what's going to happen. This is going to be the new party game. The new party game at the Super Bowl parties is, can I breathe on this bag, and how red can I turn it, how fast I can – that's that's what this is going to be. I'm just picturing a bunch of college kids sitting around going, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to breathe on this bag, and this is going to tell me I'm not going to drive home. No, it's going to be, hey, look, I turned this bag red. (laughs) That's – and again, I'm not – I'm not poo-pooing this. This strikes me more as a marketing tool for Uber than anything else, and Tostitos, as opposed to a practical way to defeat drunk driving. It's like those those breathalyzer things that they set up in bars. It becomes a party game. It's not an indicator of, gee, should I drunk dr- drive or not? It's more like, gee, how much, how high can I get my blood alcohol level? Here, I topped you. You know, that's again, I'm, I'm not. I'm not downplaying drunk driving, and I'm all in favor of things that you do to try to stop drunk driving, but I also understand the human condition, and my guess is most of the people who've been drinking at Super Bowl parties aren't going to use this as an indicator that they need to call Uber. It's going to be more of a game. All right. Here is the the story. Um, Out in Madison, you you have rivalries between different high schools. Uh, Middleton High School, Middleton, for people who don't know, is one of the more— I think well-to-do areas out in that part of that part of the state, Middleton, Middleton High School, relatively wealthy community, Madison East, less so, less so, and there's always been some simmering tension between the high schools. Not just it's not just like the rivalry that you have, but there's been some similar ten- some tensions because again there, there's economic differences in the area. For example, um, going back. Actually, going back ten or eleven years, there was a huge controversy during a boys' basketball game. You had some of the students in the stands; these were Middleton students who start started chanting things like "food stamps, food stamps" when they were playing um, East when when they were playing um, you know the 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 Madison team, and this was you know again it was. It was something derogatory that was you know, directed at the, the kids from the less economically well-developed devel- um, area. All right, so that, that's 10 years ago. So there's always been this. Well, here's, here is what happened. Um, a few days ago, there's, again, a basketball game. This time it's a girls' basketball team. And Madison East beats Middleton High School 75 to 63. Um, what happens after that is a Middleton player posts the following comment on her Instagram page. So this is a high school kid writing this, quote, I would say good game, but a good game doesn't involve intentionally trying to hurt two of our players and then laughing about it like it was a funny joke. Be aggressive, not violent. Thanks. Hashtag, you're going to work for us anyways. Hashtag, you're going to work for us anyways. Um, Which... I think it's pretty clear what the, the, the message is. Uh, the post, as you might expect, sparked a conversation on social media about the intent of the players' comments. Um, uh, the Middleton student who posted the comment on our Instagram page is white. The majority of the Madison East team are students of color. All right. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the acunate mortgage toll-free talk line. Should People be outraged about this particular post by this young lady, or if people are outraged, is this political correctness run amok? Again, one of the girls on a losing basketball team writes, I would say good game, but the good game doesn't involve intentionally trying to hurt two of our players and then laughing about it like it was a funny joke. Be aggressive, not violent. Thanks. Hashtag. You're going to work for us anyways. 414 799 1620 800 877 1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. 942 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 946 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, here's the story. Uh, Madison East, which is uh, from a, a less economically successful area of Madison compared to Middleton High School, which is a more affluent area. Okay, they're, they're rivals in basketball. Girls' basketball game, Madison East wins. One of the Middleton players, um, who is white, posts a comment on her Instagram page, says, I would say good game, but a good game doesn't involve intentionally trying to hurt two of our players and then laughing about it like it was a funny joke. Be aggressive, not violent. Fine. But then she writes, thanks, hashtag, you're going to work for us anyways. And this, of course, has um, provoked a huge controversy. Uh, Middleton largely, again, Middleton student um, is white. The majority of Madison East team are students of color. All right. Is this racist? Does it go too far? Are people who are objecting to it? um, Is that political correctness run amok? What do you think? Linda in Milwaukee. Linda, good morning. You're first.
1: Good morning. This really, really bothered me when I just heard this on the radio. Mm-hmm. I'm a parent in the North Shore, and I have a child who played sports all through high school. And like I said to your screener, right. I, bl- I blame this all on the parents. Uh, this young lady, obviously, has picked up this kind of, it's okay to do something like this. And I blame all this on the parents, and I, be- I believe that this... Young girls should either be sending a letter to that team and their coach. I think the parents should make that young lady go to the school. I mean, you're teaching your child that this is okay to do instead of teaching your child to take the high road. And it comes from within the home. And this is totally racist and totally unacceptable
0: out of if if in, let us assume, just just for the sake of argument, that we were talking about two schools that were predominantly white, but but nevertheless, there was the economic, the socioeconomic difference. you know, rich school, poor school, but mm-hmm. but the student body being being largely white. Um, would it still be inappropriate in your mind? Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. It's an attitude. And again, I think that comes from within inside the home. And the parents are teaching the kid that it's okay to have that attitude because you live in an upscale area. And that's not right. And that's not life. Right. Right. And I, I
0: get I, the idea that if this was your kid that did it, um, there would be some repercussions. Oh, <laughs>
1: There'd be big repercussions.
0: <laughs> Got it. Thanks for the call. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right. Is this does this cross the line? And again, there is there is the racial component to this because again, I don't know the racial makeup of Madison East, but the the Madison East girls basketball team is predominantly African American, while the Middleton girls basketball team is completely white or majority white four one four seven nine nine one six twenty let's talk to um let's see we've got uh mike in milwaukee mike you're in 620 wtmj good morning
2: good morning jeff uh first i want to let you know i love your show thank you i listen to it a lot don't always agree with everything you say if we
0: if we always agreed mike i've always said life would be boring right
2: (laughs) well yeah i I agree with a lot more that you say than your predecessor but that's the point um I just want to let you know. First of all, I, I think this that that thing is just disgraceful that she did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the parents need to be held accountable, but I think it goes even higher. I, I think um, the president is showing people that you can tweet whatever you want; it doesn't have to be factual. Could be alternative facts, um, and um, you can badge people and bully people over Twitter, and you can grab women wherever you want and. Do whatever you want, and there's no consequences because you get elected president of the United States. Mm -hmm. So really, what do you expect these girls to be learning if the person who's the leader of the free world is doing those kinds of disgraceful things, and the network like yours is embracing it and encouraging it?
0: Well, I don't know that we—I mean, I don't know where people like me—I don't know what my network is. Things are cool. I don't know where we we embrace or or encourage it, because— if you're a regular listener, you know I've had issues with President Trump as well, and I wish he would stay off of Twitter in large part. And it goes both ways. There, there's no question that one of the downsides of the Internet and social media and the anonymity that comes with it, although this wasn't a situation that was anonymous. This was – everybody knew who this particular girl was, was the fact that we, we've gotten harsher. I mean, you know, my goodness, you've got – if you want to look at the left, you've got Chelsea Handler, who's kind of the uh, – um, you know the, the B list celebrity. She's out there you know, talking about. Oh, I'm not going to have uh, Melania Trump on my show because she can't speak English. She speaks five languages, for goodness sakes. Or you know the the gal that writes for Saturday Night Live saying that the ten year old Trump boy um, it, Baron Trump is. Well, this guy's this, this kid. It looks like he's going to be the next homeschool shooter. So there, there's a lot of stuff going around. Four one four seven nine nine one six. Twenty. Um, let's talk to. Uh, let's see, Sean in Sun Prairie. Sean, you're on six twenty to be TMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Sean.
4: Hi. My kids compete in the same conference we um, are in. That Big Eight or whatever they call it. Right. Um, and I think the girl tweet the first half of it completely on point. You know. The point oh yeah. Wasn't to get hurt or whatever. Right. She did go too far on the second
0: hand. Right it's the, right it's in my mind it's the ha- right I mean it, it's the hashtag thing that's right. hashtag you're going to work for us you know anyways right, or something exactly. like that yeah.
4: But as I I told the screener you know, like you're a big Marquette guy, and the chance back when Marquette used to play Cincinnati, the old hooked on phonics, and you won't graduate.
0: Right. Remember when Patrick Ewing played for Georgetown? You know, whenever he went to uh, back then in the old Big East, it was always like Ewing can't read this. You know, K A N T right. or whatever. That right. was the right. Exactly. That was the thing. Yeah.
4: So it's it's a much more systemic thing. I think you know it's hard to blame all of society's ails on reality TV, but everybody is about getting that. Witty slam, dig right. in on people, and there's such a loss of right. Right. humanity and kindness. And I no,
0: you're you're right. You know, Sean, I think you just said something that I completely agree. It, everybody wants to be clever. I don't know that. I don't know that this girl. Do I understand why people interpret this comment as being racist? Absolutely. Did it cross the line? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you wonder whether she was really, is there racist or evil intent, or is this just, I'm going to be cute? You know, this is, which makes me wonder, would she have done the same thing if this were, again, a predominantly white school in a lower socioeconomic thing? And my guess is she might have done the same because she thought this was cute and clever and funny. Um, if this was your kid, you would not have been happy, I assume. (laughs)
4: No, no, he he or she, boys and girls, would not be playing for a while.
0: Uh, got it. Thanks for the call. And take away those computer privileges. It's, I mean, yes, I I understand why people are saying there is racist overtones to this. I don't know if this particular girl is racist, because again, I think this might be, this strikes me as being more of one of these kind of mean girl things. Hey, I think this is going to be clever. Um, I understand why it could be interpreted along racial lines, but it. it I, I think you could also say it just might have been her broader statement. I am a child of privilege, and doesn't matter. You know, you're you're, you're going to be working for me anyways. Let's talk to Renee in New Berlin. Hi, Renee. You're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ.
1: Hi,
5: Jeff. Um, first of all, what that gentleman said about this being trump's fault
0: we're going to find a way to blame trump for everything you know, don't you know this renee this
5: has been going on way way before trump became president so it has nothing to do with Yeah, trump.
0: again let's go to patrick ewing in the 70s you know when yeah. people were taunting him with that and sure.
5: quite honestly jeff i just this world has become such a hurtful place some it's it's just with everything and I, I just wish people would think before they speak sometimes and I know I'm guilty of it too sometimes you know but I really try and
0: Well, it is the, the, and again, it's also the anonymity of the Internet. The fact that you can post these anonymous comments, nobody's going to know who you are. That, in general, I think makes it worse. If you had to sign your name to things, I think people would think twice or three times, perhaps, before they say some of the things they do. Some people.
5: Yeah, Yeah. it's just.
0: Yeah. God. Okay. Well, why right.
5: do you even see something like that? I think so, you know? Well,
0: because the, I mean, the, I know. I think in I think in in some respects, it's because every, I, I actually think Sean was onto something. I think people want to be clever. Here, I want to be cute. I want to get the attention for this stuff and. Uh, that's that's why we do the things but then what happens is it ends up backfiring like I say, you see it on the right you, you see it on the left I mean my my goodness I'm not gonna have Melania Trump on because you know she can barely speak English she speaks five languages for goodness sakes but we're going to mock her or you mock the ten-year-old son of Donald Trump because you don't like Donald Trump really and and I look and I also acknowledge as I've said before that that, that happens on on both both sides um, but Can't we just all get along sometimes? 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in less than 15 minutes, it's dealer's choice. And uh, very, very interesting topic today. Some Republicans are all about dismantling Michelle Obama's school lunch program. We'll discuss. It's 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine fifty eight. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I've been following this trial. It's gotten a little bit of media attention. There's a guy who is accused. He denies he did it. He is accused of sending these unhinged, anonymous, anti-Semitic rants threatening to kill Frank Gimbel prominent attorney in town, I've known Frank for decades, who is Jewish, and uh, have David Gruber, another prominent attorney in town who is Jewish, have David Gruber's adult son murdered. (laughs) So the guy's going on trial for this. He denies he's done it, denies he's done it. So the matter, it's actually, it's with the jury. So the jury is deciding. um, And what happens is one of the jurors, and this is after the jurors, the, the case is all over, the jurors are deliberating, one of the jurors goes AWOL. She just refuses to come back and that's a big deal because under the constitution you know you you have a right in a criminal trial to have your guilt or innocence at least under the law decided by by 12 people that's what the the law says and you can't be forced under the law to while well, you could agree you can't be forced to go with a jury of less than 12 so they can't find this woman who's just skipped out during deliberations the alternates have already been released i guess so there's nothing no choice they have other than to declare a mistrial and then That means the whole trial is going to theoretically have to be done over again. Last I heard, they had not found the woman who did not show up. Uh, But this is one where I never had that happen. In all the years, I tried cases. um, But if I did as a prosecutor, well, I know who the next person that I would be prosecuting would be on my list. It's 10 o'clock, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.